everyone. Welcome back to another episode on the BTS podcast. I'm your host, Yara Minova. And in this week's episode, we are discussing workplace bullying. Our guest speaker today is Nikki Ayer. Nikki is the founder and director of Conduct Change, an organization in the UK that provides consultancy, coaching, and training solutions rooted in the prevention of workplace bullying. She also leads the work at the Stop Hurt at Work campaign, advocating, campaigning, and raising awareness about workplace bullying. She is also the member of the International Association on Workplace Bullying and Harassment and has spoken at events both in the UK and nationally on this topic. It is truly a pleasure to have her here today with us. Nikki, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here today. And that was a wonderful introduction. Thank you. (laughs) Well, it's all you, so thank you. (laughs) So, I'm really excited for this discussion because I think it's one of those things that either goes unnoticed or is buried under the rug because people who witness bullying don't always speak up and people who get bullied don't feel like they can always either. And so we can say it's not really a conversation that's common or part of work. And so I'm interested to understand, and from what I read, it was based on your personal experience, but how did you become such a strong advocate for workplace bullying and perhaps also a little on how you found conduct change and what its mission is. So yeah, you're absolutely right. All of this stemmed from my own personal experience. Um, I'd always worked in sort of education and training. Um, That was my background previously. And I ended up in a role where I was in a senior position and I was bullied while I was in that position. And um, as with most people who went through this, my complaint was not upheld. I went to appeal process and ended up too ill to really continue to take it through to a tribunal. And so came away feeling um, what I now understand to be quite traumatized yeah. by that um, whole experience. And part of my recovery really involved starting to learn more about workplace bullying what it was, the impact that it has on people. And um, through that, I started coaching other individuals because I found that because I was being open about it, then Mm. other people would come forward and they would open up to me. And so that really took me through um, starting to go out and do talks about my experience. Um, And from there, one of the things I started doing was talking about legislation and saying that other countries have legislation and recognizing that uh, we don't have that in the UK. Mm. Although harassment linked to a protected characteristic such as um, sex, age, um, disability, race, things like that are protected under the Equality Act, workplace bullying that is not linked to any of that is not recognised in law. And so somebody said to me, well, it's not as hard to change the law as you might think. So I said, okay, Mm. we'll do that. (laughs) And so the way I ended up founding Conduct Change was it it is a business, but we've decided to adopt a social purpose, which is around the advocacy and the awareness raising. Hence, you know, coming out and talking to people about the subject, really getting that topic out into the open which has changed enormously in the last few years, actually. Uh, I've really noticed a change, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's taking a long time to get there. And so we do awareness raising. We have a conference every year as well, but we're also starting a campaign to try and change the law. So 
those elements are kind of my my heart-led part of the business, if you like, and then working with businesses to actually say, you can prevent this. There is so much you can do. Wow, that's super powerful. And thank you for being open about your experiences. I'm sure it was horrible what you had to go through and what a lot of people are going through. But the fact that you are now helping so many voices be heard and implement that change from both a personal and a legislative level is so powerful. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for your bravery on that. Thank you. I'm I'm supported by some amazing people. It's not just me alone. So I, I have to say that there, there are people out there who helped me rebuild my trust in others, which was a really important part of this process. Absolutely. So I kind of want to take a step back now and just go to the basics um, in our understanding of bullying in particular at work. What does bullying in the workplace look like? Because from my understanding, it's a spectrum from verbal, psychological, and even physical. And of course, each can be extremely debilitating to a person. So perhaps you can give us some examples of different styles of bullying and If you don't mind sharing, um, I would be curious to know what your experience was, but you don't have to share that if you don't want to. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'm very open about my experience because I think it it helps other people to understand as well. And and you're right, there is a huge spectrum. And it starts with those, you know, moments of incivility and rudeness, um, just snapping at somebody or Mm. um, excluding them, not saying hello to them, things like that right through to um, something that can cause an injury. And that could be a physical injury. It could be a psychiatric injury. And so then you've got everything in between. So, you know, you mentioned there some of the different areas. So um, physical behaviours can be, when we think about physical, we think about extreme violence, um, you know, hitting somebody. That is, it's assault, basically, once you get that far. Uh, but there are things that we do and we quite often hear them referred to as microaggressions as well now. Mm. You know, the rolling of the eyes when somebody says something, the raising mm. of the eyebrows, the glancing at somebody else, um, the turning your um, shoulder slightly to block somebody getting into a conversation. Wow. There are little things that we can do. And you think, well, you know, they're really small. Surely that's not bullying. But it's about the pattern of those behaviours. Um, more physical examples, you know, getting into somebody's space. We start to get into like sexual harassment with inappropriate touching and things like that. But when we're talking about workplace bullying, we're talking about the people who, you know, get really close to you mm. or they'll, you know, lean over you without any respect for you in your personal space. It can be that they perhaps, you know, push out of the way, push you out of the way to go and sit in a, a place in a meeting. I've heard of people who've been almost pushed downstairs. They've been knocked on mm. the stairs and things like that. So yeah, they can be really um, quite serious, but they can also be those tiny little moments as well. On the verbal side, then it's talking about others, trying to discredit them. It's Mm. gossip, it's whispering, it's shouting, it's, you know, all of those bits in between. And then a lot of that becomes quite subtle and turns into the psychological side where we start to doubt ourselves because we're constantly being questioned. One of the things that happened to me was that uh, it was never really clear what they wanted from me and they would never tell me if anything was going well and then would you know if they didn't want something then 
they would tell me at that point, well, you'd have known if I didn't like it because I'd have told you, but never any kind of, yes, this is what's needed. And sometimes that telling me was an explosion in front of, you know, my entire team. It was, yeah, so it's humiliating. You feel absolutely, you know, I remember just feeling absolutely frozen at that point thinking, I don't know what to do next um, because I was chairing the meeting. And so just, I just remember looking down. I can't even remember what was said, but I remember how it made me feel, you know, that incredibly, yeah. incredible quote by um, Angela Mayu, is it? Yeah. Um, Maya you know, Angelou, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I've got the wrong way around there. But like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, people don't remember what you said, but they remember how you made how them you feel. feel yeah. yeah. And just frozen to that spot in that moment of complete humiliation. And, and I was really lucky that actually quite a few members of my team came to me after that meeting to check on me and say, are you okay? Are you okay? You know, that wasn't acceptable. Are you okay? And that meant a lot to me. Didn't change anything, but it meant a lot to me that they did that at the time. Sure. So, so yeah, those, those different stages and certainly on the psychological side, you know, you'll hear the term gaslighting yep. a lot these days. And that is really about people getting people to doubt themselves, getting people to think that they've done something wrong all the time, that they must have got it wrong because you're constantly questioning them. Or oh, you're saying, that's not what I said. And you must be making it up. You're imagining that. Really doubting their own sanity is, you know, the, the gaslighting approach. And that's very common in domestic abuse, which is why, you know, a lot of people refer to workplace bullying as workplace abuse as well. Mm. So, so, you know, in terms of what, what you know, what, yeah, that spectrum, it, it's huge. It's massive. There's lots of different bullying behaviours. And what I would say is if somebody exhibits a bullying behaviour, it doesn't make them a bully. Mm. The first thing is if they've done something, what do they do afterwards? If they come to you and they say, I'm really sorry, I just exploded at you. and had a bad day or yeah, something. Yeah, um, you know, I know it's no excuse, but. I recognise that I shouldn't have done that and I'm not going to do it again. That's not bullying. That is somebody, something's going on for them. And for some people, if they're under a huge amount of stress internally or externally, their behaviour might change and their stress can cause them to have an outburst at somebody else, take it out on somebody else. The same as we do at home, you know, we take things out on our nearest and dearest. And, you know, when you're at work, it might not be nearest and dearest, but (laughs) (laughs) but certainly the nearest person might get it. So it's, yeah, it's absolutely huge, but there's usually a pattern of behaviour and there's usually a power dynamic going on. So Mm -hmm. some sort of abuse of power, which is not necessarily just in terms of hierarchy. Yeah, it can be about the knowledge that you hold about somebody. So it can come from a peer. Bullying can come top down, bottom up, sideways. It can come from every direction. Mm. So, um, but there's usually that abuse of power and a pattern of behavior for bullying to have occurred. Thank you for that, Nikki, because I think you raised some super important points. One is that it has to be repetitive. So it's not that, you know, you had a bad day once and you blew up at your coworker, but it's like these patterns and these repetitive behaviors that you have towards a particular individual. But I think we underestimate the power of how 
these little things that you were talking about in the beginning, the eye rolling or the invasion of their space, or just these like little gestures that you do. And some of them are even subconsciously picked up by the person on top of consciously. So it really sits deep within you. As you said, that feeling, it kind of stays within you. And although you almost feel like if you tell someone, it sounds like you're just being paranoid, but it's there. Because when it's straight out abusive, that's like obvious, you know, but when it's indirect abuse, it becomes harder. You almost feel like you're making things up or you're going crazy, you know? So I think it's very important to not disregard these little um, forms of bullying that can happen to people at work. Yes, you're absolutely right. And one of the the things that we get into is that we start to become more aware of them because we're going into our stress response. Mm. We're going into our fight or flight response. And um, yeah, when you look at them individually, it sounds like nothing, doesn't it? You know, oh, they rolled their eyes at me or they didn't, you know, get a coffee when they got one for everybody else or they didn't say hello to me. They just sound like crazy little instance why would you be bothered by that and so so many people get their bullying complaints dismissed um because it's like well no that doesn't sound like bullying to me but it is it's that drip 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 effect that has the huge impact on people and that has a huge impact on people's health and well-being as well. It has a huge impact on how that will eventually impact on their performance at work. And so a lot of bullying complaints are regarded as performance issues yeah. when actually the only reason the performance has gone down is because there has been bullying So we get into this loop where it's really easy to get hung up on performance without going back further and looking at actually what was the reason for the drop in performance. I think, you know, it'd be great if we can just explore some of the impact at this stage, if you're happy for me to keep going. Yeah, no, like you nailed it on the head because that was exactly the direction that I was thinking of going as well. Um, firstly, I also want to say I, I'm sorry for your shitty experience, excuse my language. And I'm so glad that you did have people that came up to you and said, hey, that was messed up. People validated that experience for you because I'm sure there's others that may have not had that. But again, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry yeah. for that. That sucks. Yeah, it does. But, you know, I was fortunate to have some good support around. But Actually, what I ended up doing, and and I'll explain why, was I ended up pushing some of those people away. So it became very isolating. So Mm. what happens with workplace bullying is, um, again, we're we're looking at a pattern of behaviour. So you don't tend to pick it up straight away. Mm. And so it can take quite a long time. And I was certainly in denial because so far as I was concerned, I was a strong woman. I was in a senior position and Mm. I couldn't be bullied. I wasn't going to be bullied. And yet what I discovered as I kind of reflected back was there was a key moment when my alleged bully, as I must always refer, basically had a an absolute favourite and they had said something to them about me. And it was one of those things that was so small. It was I picked up the phone and dealt with it in a moment. But as a result of that, he threatened my job. Oh wow! And at that point in time, I came out of the meeting and actually said I felt bullied. Uh, I had quite a strong emotional response just afterwards, not not actually in the meeting. Um, and so my response to that was, well, actually, I'll prove him wrong. 
I'll do a great job. And so what I found myself doing was observing and modeling the behaviors that he wanted from me which was a real clash of my values so I oh, was doing crazy. things that I I didn't really feel comfortable doing it was not like your authentic person yeah. it was coming from a- yeah and it was coming from a place of self-preservation because yeah. you know if I lost my job we lost our house and things like that so oh, um and I think what happens in the end is you kind of you start realizing that things aren't right. And, you know, other information came to light and I started looking at things and discovering, well, actually, he shouldn't have asked me to do that because there's a really good reason why that other person did that and I shouldn't have disciplined them for it. Mm. And it was those kind of things. But it, it made me really uncomfortable looking back at kind of some of the things that I'd done as a result of that experience. And so, when I got to the point of actually wanting to report it, then one of the things you have to do is you have to provide evidence. And you'll find people saying, make sure you document everything from the start. But from the start, you don't recognize it. Absolutely. So what you then have to do is you have to go back and you have to find evidence for the emails, the phone calls, the meetings, were there any witnesses? Um, You have to relive those moments. That's really traumatizing. It is, absolutely, because your brain can't tell whether you are there in the moment or whether you're just thinking about it. And therefore, your body goes into the stress response mode. And so you are living, you're probably already living in the distress mode at this point anyway, where you're essentially staying in the fight or flight response. You're not rebalancing at any time. So you are hypervigilant and you are hypersensitive because you are looking for threats all of the time. And so often you will say, well, they're just taking everything as a threat now. Yes, because they've gone into trauma. And that's one of the things that I really didn't understand anything about at the time. And the other thing it means is that it's very, very hard to give a coherent Um, both timeline and description of what has happened. And then you get into these tiny little moments where the vocabulary doesn't actually fully encompass what has happened. For sure. It's an incredibly difficult point to go through and you're affected. um, You know, my mental health was affected, anxiety, depression, panic attacks, and they don't just stop when you leave the workplace. Um, And I mean not just going home in the evening, but I mean, after you've left the job as well. And it's not uncommon for people to still have panic attacks when they are in the vicinity of where they used to work or they see someone that used to work there. And that happened to me. Physically, then I had aches, pains, digestive problems, you know, My coping mechanisms were not the good ones. It was turn to a glass of wine. It was overeat. Um, There's a psychologist in Australia who will say that people who've been bullied generally gain between 20 and 30 kilos. It obviously puts pressure then on your heart, your organs, all of those things. So, you know, the physical symptoms that you get are quite often a result of the psychological distress. Absolutely. If you are constantly under stress and like you're seeking comfort, right? So this is why a lot of people, like you said, they resort to food because 
food can make people feel good and it releases those chemicals and they just resort to that. Or alcohol is one of them. Cigarettes is one of them. Different forms of addiction. And these are very serious. Like you're talking about your experience right now. And I'm thinking it can seem like a small matter, but your body is constantly under stress and it's not understanding what that stressor is. The only thing it feels is that I'm under threat and that's a constant. Like you said, bullying doesn't stay in the workplace. You take it home with you and you carry it with you wherever you go. And so you're constantly in that mode. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, that has a huge impact on the people around you as well, because, you know, your personality changes. Mm. Um, One of the things with workplace bullying trauma that makes it quite different to other traumas is that people want to talk about it all the time. So you get into Mm. this rumination where you're just constantly going over everything in your head Mm. and you start to draw everybody else in around you until they become exhausted with it. Your family, your friends will get exhausted with listening to you. People will try and tell you, they said this to me, you should go, you should leave, um, you know, for your health. And I was like, no, I have to stay. I have to fight this, not just for me, but I have to fight it for everybody else. This can't happen to anyone else. And that sense of justice, that need for validation and justice is huge. Mm. And that stays with people for a long time as well. And I think a lot of that is because, you know, most people who bring forward a bullying complaint, their complaints are not upheld. It's probably around, there's no really hard facts, but around 80, 90% of bullying complaints are not upheld. You know, for the organization, it's the end of the case. For the solicitor or the judge, it's the Mm. end of a case. But for that individual, they haven't been heard. They haven't been validated. They, um, they're still trying to make sense of it all as much as anything. And, some people hold on to that anger for such a long, long time. Mm. And I've been really fortunate that I've been able to let go of that. But I certainly, I always describe it as I lost myself and I became somebody that I really didn't like. So when people were trying to say, you know, it's making you ill, you need to stop now. I was shouting and screaming at them, you know, get out of my office. If you're not going to back me, then, you know, so I became a bully myself. And you know, but then you lose lose your confidence, your self-esteem, that trust in in yourself Mm. as well as in others, you know, it's hugely um, damaging. And that can last for a long time if you don't get the right sort of um, trauma counselling and support to move past it. And Mm. I think the other area that isn't talked about very much is the financial impact of bullying. Mm, That's interesting. And that is, yeah. So, you know, you perhaps have some absence from work and you may or may not be paid while you're off sick or it might just reduce after a certain amount of time. When you actually leave work, uh, a lot of people leave on settlement agreements, but they're not usually particularly great. Um, If you go to an employment tribunal, all they do is put you back to the position you would have been in financially if you hadn't left that job. So if you've left Mm-hmm. And six months later, you're in another job, you'll only get six months salary. You know, if you walk straight into another job, you won't get anything. Wow. So there's no injury to feeling payments for workplace bullying. In fact, you can't actually bring a workplace bullying claim in the UK uh, to an employment tribunal. You have to leave your job and bring sort of like a constructive dismissal type oh, claim. Oh my gosh. Actually, you have to be in your job for two years before you're even able to do that. So, you know, you're not protected from this for the first two years, unless it's so bad that you have a psychiatric injury and then you can go through the civil courts. 
but you know that's it's not a great option yeah that's not a great alternative (laughs) no no there shouldn't be a duration to like oh you can claim for bullying after you've been here for two after you've been bullied for two years then you're good to go yeah yeah and even then you've got to find uh, a constructive dismissal basis so yeah it is and actually for me when I left I I found it really hard to work again for quite a long time and I Although I'd been managing director, I was looking at part-time administrative jobs because I just didn't feel Love stress. You just yeah, didn't. I want... didn't want the stress. I wanted to be able to walk away easily. Mm. I didn't feel capable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it had undermined my confidence so much. I just thought, well, obviously I I can't work at that level. So it was absolutely huge for me. And for some people, they never work again. They uh, a lot of people work for themselves, but some people never work again and just end up on benefits. We got to a point where we actually had to sell our house. Um, we were very lucky that we could downsize, so we weren't homeless, but um, it was still a huge wrench. I had to sell personal belongings. I had to sell jewelry and things like that to be able to pay my bills. So we ended up with a huge amount of debt as a result of this experience and not understanding how long it was going to take me to recover. And to really get my confidence back was about six years. Oh, Wow. I, I would love to hear a little more on that, what you did do to get your confidence back. But before we get into that, I want to go back to a bit on the research um, on workplace bullying. You mentioned it quite a bit uh, earlier on, the negative impact basically on the mental health and the physical health, but also the overall functioning of the um, the organizations. I actually wrote an article for the Applied Neuroscience Association on workplace bullying uh, around the same time you guys partnered with them, I think for the, for the UAWB 2022 conference. And the research was profound. I, I wrote particularly about the neuroscience of bullying and how it impacts the brain. But I also found, as you said, the psychological, emotional effects how it can lead to problems such as depression and anxiety and, and like you said, panic attacks. But not only that, it also increased stress, decreased job satisfaction and the lower levels of productivity, which I guess it's where it impacts the organizations as well. Um, from conduct change and also from your you know research and just speaking with people, what has your research or the general research shown uh, on the impact of all these different factors? On individuals, then the way that they end up being out of work. Um, and actually, there's a really fantastic paper by two um, psychologists who've worked in this area, worked with clients for 20 years or more. Evelyn Field, who is in Australia, and Pat Ferris, who is in Canada. And they wrote a paper about workplace bullying trauma, where they've kind of categorized it into mild, moderate and severe it's a really interesting paper about mm-hmm. kind of the different ways in which um, people respond. And they talk in there about actually how, you know, the, the productivity goes down, the performance goes down because of the loss of cognitive functioning, the um, real case of um, loss of memory, um, you're not able to recall facts, you're not able to produce coherent information, you're just having flashbacks all the time. So there are real, you know, negative impacts there. And of course, that then reflects around, you know, the people around you. So I've already explained how I was treating people around me. Um, but they talk about confidential processes in, you know, a, 
business about if somebody reports something, we keep it all confidential. But of course, people know or make up what is going on. So there will be gossip, there will be rumours. But actually, the stress between those two people will create further stress in the teams as well. So it's not just about the performance of individuals. Mm. It's about how that, you know, ricochets around the team. It's about um, people who see something happening, they don't like it, they don't like the way the company is treating it. And so they decide to leave as well, because it's, you know, they're finding it stressful, or it conflicts with their values and their morals. And so they think, well, I don't want to be associated with this. So in terms of the the business, then it's not only that productivity goes down for those individuals, but across teams, they've got a higher turnover of staff, um, you know, they've got to recruit new people, they've potentially got a bad reputation because, you know, Glassdoor, social media, we can put the information out there now to say, don't work for this employer. It affects whether people want to invest in them because recent research showed that actually the way employers treat their employees is one of the second um, most important factors for investors now. That's Um, great. yeah, it is. Great to hear. Yeah, and actually, you know, in the Me Too campaign, there were organisations that had negative um, press about uh, sexual misconduct, and people who invested in those companies, I think, lost about twenty percent of their investment, as opposed to people who invested in companies that do have a good reputation, treat their staff well, um, where they made a profit of whatever but it wasn't a loss anyway so um so it's making a big difference and we're starting to hear about it more which so you're still going to get people who say there's no such thing as bullying as adults you should be able to you know suck it up and get on with it you know it's not true and when you are bullied you don't see it coming. You're blindsided by it. And it is one of those things that you just think, surely this can't happen to me. And in fact, if it hasn't happened to you, you're probably not even thinking about it on a day-to-day basis. So uh, that's why we try and open up these conversations and get people to recognise it and start to pick up those small behaviours that can be nipped in the bud really early on. But it's not only other it's not only other people's behaviors towards us. I feel we should also be responsible in thinking about our own behaviors towards others in the workplace too because we never know we may have certain biases that we should be very mindful and careful of and I'm glad that the Me Too movement for example exposed companies that you know were treating their employees badly probably had and many different factors of bullying or even racism, I would say, for example, which we know is super common. So it's good. We should keep these, we should keep organizations responsible. Yeah. And, you know, Me Too is still having an effect now because there's been a real shift towards putting greater responsibility on the organizations to prevent those kind of behaviors instead of just waiting for them to happen and people reporting them. Um, You know, there's campaigns now to prevent um, non-disclosure agreements being used in terms of behaviours as opposed to trade secrets, which is really what they were um, initially established for. So that work is still going on. It's still rolling out and it's still making a difference. So, um, yeah, the more that we can talk about bullying and get that raised to the same level, the better. Absolutely. Do you think 
companies should speak to employees and ask them questions like, are you encountering bullying? Is it safe to always do so? And then how can companies ensure that when they do ask, their employees feel safe enough to answer if they have been bullied or abused? Like, what are some of the questions you think organizations need to ask in order to address workplace bullying? So there are, you can ask the question. And I think, you know, it's about, they need to understand whether people are experiencing it and if they are witnessing it. Mm. So it's really important that they do ask the questions. And um, they can ask about people who've witnessed workplace bullying as well as those that have experienced it. Uh, And to be able to, a lot of companies do this through the staff survey, so it's anonymous. But even then, uh, you might have a lot of people who don't want to fill that in. So your first sign that you haven't got good psychological safety where people feel that they can speak up without fear of recrimination is that not many people are filling in your staff survey. When you get to the questions about workplace bullying, then it might be that you put some specific examples or you ask them to put examples in there if they can type um, something in. But make it a really short answer so that people can't be identified, tell them not to name anybody. Mm. One of the things the the CIPD, the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development, did a survey uh, and the results were published in January 2020. And they actually broke the questions down. So because it was not long after Me Too, they asked about sexual harassment. They asked about any other form of harassment and they asked about workplace bullying. And that was really interesting because from that, they were able to discover that only 4% of people were talking about sexual harassment, 8% were talking about every other form of harassment, and then 15% of people said they'd experienced workplace bullying. So Mm. the non-discriminatory bullying was higher than all the forms of harassment put together. So that immediately tells you, actually, we've got something going wrong with the behaviours in the organisation. Mm. And so we need to look at what we can do differently. The problem with asking these questions is that if you don't do anything with the right. answers that you're getting, right. then What's the people will yeah. stop answering them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, why should we bother speaking up if we're just going to be ignored? Yeah. And so what they need to hear is that um, something different is going to happen as a result. Yeah. So that's probably more important than, you know, are you asking the question? It's what are you doing with the answers when you've asked the question? But there are so many different things that organisations can do. And I think what's really important is we look at, we generally look at workplace bullying as a um, an individual issue. Yeah. And yet, if we look at it as an organizational issue in terms of the behaviors in your organization, the ethos as well of the whole organization, what it stands for. Yeah, yeah the values, the ethics, right. but the behaviors that put those into practice are what drive the culture. Absolutely. So, actually, we need to consider looking at behaviors as an area of risk management. So the board should be really interested in, have we got the right behaviours going on in this organisation? How many complaints are we getting? Informal and formal. How many people are leaving? Is there a particular part of the company where 
that's happening more? How are we training our managers? Because a lot of these things are just about throwing people into jobs where they have no support and training mm. in how to manage people. Absolutely. They just assumed that, well, you were good at your job, so we've promoted you and surely you'll just automatically know how to manage people. Exactly. So, you know, that training, having the open conversations about not just bullying behavior, but what are the acceptable behaviors and rewarding those behaviors, mm. you know, tracking them in their appraisals and supervisions, um, linking bonuses to the way people are behaving uh, in the workplace, as opposed to um, just assuming that the highest fee earner is the best person in the organization <laughs> because, uh, you know, they bring the most money in, even though they're absolutely terrorizing everybody who works around them so you know all of those different things and one area that I think is really important is around kind of job design and I always talk about kind of the different areas of working practices uh, you know control demand role support Um, they're all actually aspects that are included in the health and safety executive stress risk assessment We only do stress risk assessments when people have been off sick and they're coming back into the workplace. Do you mind explaining what the stress risk assessment is? With a risk assessment, you're looking for what are the potential stressors Mm. in the workplace and um, how can we mitigate that risk? And where are the highest levels of risk? Where do we need to make more action? So um, in exactly the same way as you might look at a, a building and say, what do we need to do to make this building safe in terms of, you know, making sure um, cables are out of the way, making sure that doors open properly, making sure our fire doors work. Then what we're saying is, what do we need to do um, from a, a psychosocial point of view to make sure that our people mm. can work effectively? And so when people have been off sick through stress at work, they'll come back into the workplace and say, what do we need to do? We need to make adjustments or or we need to um, right. get some different training or you can work part-time hours. But they only do that after the stress has occurred. Now, a risk assessment is designed to mitigate risk. So what we should be doing is looking at a role and saying, where are our biggest risk factors? And in fact, there's a new international standard, um, the ISO 45003, which looks at psychosocial um, risks and how to manage them. And it includes looking at incivility, bullying, harassment in the workplace. Mm. They're all in there and things that, you know, we can potentially do to help mitigate that risk. Do we know the reports of these organisations? Um how well they're doing and seeing a difference between other organizations that don't have this implemented? So it's quite a new standard right. and it's a voluntary code. So um, at the moment, we're not, there isn't a huge amount of data out there because it only came out during the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. And anybody who is looking at well-being in the organization, yeah. mental health in the organization, um, business development, go back and have a look because we should really be looking at when you're setting a roll up from the start, where are the highest stress factors and where are those opportunities for people to bring a bullying complaint? Because when we start to recognise them, we can take action to correct that and prevent that happening. Uh, That's really great. Thank you for all this. This this is such great information and I think it's going to be so valuable for so many people. I think it's so right that our environment is the the core, right? 
if it's not been taken care of, if no one in the organization cares, then that's going to be a reflection onto you. And I think what you're absolutely right in saying is assessing those risk factors early on. If people are happy, genuinely, if they feel comfortable, they will want to perform. They will want to come into the workplace. They will be active members of the society. But you know, the minute you don't give them that opportunity or you take something away from them or you, you know, bully them, then that disappears. You, you know, you don't want to be a productive individual when your body is constantly under stress and also your self-esteem when you don't feel like you're even capable. You mentioned about you were looking for part-time jobs because, you know, you felt that you weren't capable in that moment. You're awesome. And, you know, you're so intelligent. So I'm so glad that you, that you did push through and but some people don't, you know, and I think that's why these conversations are so important because um, people need to hear that. What other people are reflecting onto you is not a reflection of you. It's it's them. And, you know, yeah. So I was wondering if something like empathy and understanding can be fostered to prevent bullying. I know it's very broad and, you know, how do you how do you implement empathy onto people? But if that's something that a company takes into consideration because I think seeing yourself through others, as much as cliche as it sounds, it's super powerful because then you would understand certain people's, you know, behaviors and mimics and where they come from, different cultures, like all of that. Just want to know your thoughts on that. Yeah. And I think, you know, empathy is a huge part of emotional intelligence, which links back to the self-awareness that we were talking about earlier, not only of yourself, but about the impact that you have on others as well. But when you are listening to somebody, when you are actively listening to someone, giving giving them the space to feel safe enough to share really quite distressing information with you, then you need to have empathy in that moment. Um, You need to, you don't have to have lived through it to be able to see a different perspective. And that's all we're doing. And actually one of the most important for people who, most important things for people who've been bullied when they go to talk to somebody is that that person stops, gives them that time and makes them feel safe and heard. So, so important in that moment. Um, the other element that I would really bring in is compassion Absolutely. because compassion is the action that we take. So we listen with empathy, but we act with compassion. And so when we do something beyond that conversation, when we stand up for that person, when we take that time to go and check they're okay, when, we, when we're not a bystander, when we can actually make an intervention that is safe to do so, such as deflecting or distracting or even, you know, reporting something to somebody else, say, I'm really concerned about what I just saw or heard or or whatever it was, Um, then actually when we're acting with compassion and we're making a difference, then that is incredibly huge in terms of the overall change that we can deliver. Wow, that's so beautifully said. Listen with empathy and act with compassion. I really like that. I feel like that's going to stick. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I am wary of time, but I really just very quickly wanted to touch upon, does bullying intersect with other forms of oppression and discrimination? I just think it's very important to bring this up, you know, whether it's homophobia or, you know, transphobia or racism, etc. Is there a link? Has your research shown any intersection between that? Do, you know, are there certain 
categories that get more discriminated or and oppressed than others? And is this something that we should be addressing and looking into as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the when I look at harassment and bullying, mm. um, so in the UK, harassment is protected by law under the Equality Act, and actually, the most common um, area uh, is sex and then it's age oh. and most people think it will be racism right. but actually it's age but of course what you've got is the intersectionality because you know you're not just an age mm. you're a person with an age and you may have any of those other characteristics that are protected as well but the way that um quite often see it um bullying and harassment get interchanged quite a lot in terms of the use of the word right. but in terms of the way they're reflected in law mm. For me, it is all bullying behaviour. But once bullying behaviour is linked to a protected characteristic, so that becomes the driving force, if you like, behind that behaviour, then that is when it becomes harassment. And so the behaviours that we've talked about are absolutely um, interwoven into harassment as well. Any of those behaviours can occur in a harassment case. But what you will have is that additional, whether it is the words that people are using, Mm. whether it is um, images or just the way in which they are inappropriately touching, for example, um, all of those kind of things are what turns it into harassment because it is suddenly linked to that protected characteristic. And so, um, you know, it's quite a thin line as well between the sexual harassment and sexual assault in terms of how far that touching goes, for example. Um, and so we need to be really aware um, of the difference. Um, yeah. There was a there was a series um, called Sticks and Stones that was on TV. Um, it's based on a uh, a play which I think from memory was called Bull, but please don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, But basically, it was about a bullying case and it was a three-part drama. And at the very end, um, it was revealed who the bully was. But the person being bullied was a black man. But they didn't mention that until she used the word black in the very last episode. And bang, it turns from a bullying to a harassment case at that stage. And um, But it's still bullying though, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think that's where, you know, people have to understand that the difference in the behavior is probably where that intent comes from. Mm. And there's not always intent there. Sometimes there's ignorance. And so, but actually, whatever has driven that behavior is different in a harassment case. And you're going to have, you know, there'll be all sorts of different views, but I remember someone saying to me once that actually sometimes a bullying case is harder than harassment because at least you know in harassment why where that's coming from yeah Yeah. and yet in a bullying case you're just thinking why what is it about me that's made them target me um and and never really understanding why so you know and I'm sure Everybody's going to have their own experience. Absolutely. It's all debilitating. You know, we can't take away one's person experience and say one is more harmful than the other. I'll be interested to know for anyone who's listening and perhaps has encountered some degree of bullying um, at work, what would you tell someone who's been bullied but doesn't know how to address it? I know it's a tough question, but 
you know, perhaps from someone who's encountered it personally, how can the person being bullied get support? Or maybe what did you do in those moments for yourself? And then uh, discuss a little bit about how you came out of it. And then you said, you know, it took you six years, but now, you know, you, you've went through that and healed through that. So I'd love to hear that part as well. So I think for anybody who is in the middle of this right now, it's going to be really quite individual Mm. and it'll depend how long it's going on for. But the one thing I would say is put your health first. I didn't do that. Mm. I wanted to fight to the end. And all that happened was that I fought so hard that I damaged myself. And it's going to be really hard to hear that. And if you're right in the middle of it, you probably don't want to hear it, maybe can't even hear that advice at the moment. Find out as much as you can about what bullying actually is, because if you do decide to go forward with a complaint, then you're going to need to be able to articulate it. And it's very hard to articulate something that you don't understand, particularly when you're in a time of distress. And bullying is very much about a feeling. I feel bullied. And yet when you're putting a case forward, you're going to have to put a a timeline and the actual information in a clear way. And actually what I would say is really have a look at, is this the right way forward? Is there any way back? Could somebody facilitate a conversation? Could you get some coaching? Could, you know, mediation isn't something I tend to go for with bullying because people don't want to sit in a room with somebody they've been, they feel bullied by. But it may be that actually through coaching, you can bring people to the point of being able to facilitate that conversation. Mm. Um, But find out for yourself what it really is. Make sure that you really do feel that that is what has happened. Because if you decide to take that step to go down a formal process, then you need to go into it with your eyes wide open, recognizing that they're very damaging and they're very rarely upheld unfortunate but true at the moment and I think it's better that people know that truth Mm. before they put themselves through it if you can't talk to anybody if you can't get help on an informal basis if you haven't got the kind of organization that does that then do you know what have a look at that organization and decide is it for you and do not be afraid to walk away because the way that the systems are set up at the moment, your chances of really being heard and validated in the way that you're looking for right now are very slim. And again, people don't want to hear that, but that is the truth. So do not be afraid to walk away if you can't get help informally. Mm. Um, Certainly, you know, I went through the whole process and I ended up having to walk away. And my recovery, a huge amount of it was around really learning and understanding what had happened to me, what had happened to my body, to my mind as a result of what I'd been through. I also did some equine facilitated coaching. So where the horse comes in as another mm. um, coach in the process. So they really sense what is going mm. on for you at an individual level. And I stood in a, a coaching arena and I basically said it's you know it's all about work it's all about work it's all about work Mm. and the horse was spinning around behind me Mm. to the point they said okay just come out a moment let the horse come down and I went back in and I started again you know it's all about work and then I went no it's not it's about my health 
And I literally went still and the horse just came and stood next to me. And you could almost see the relief on their face. Like, oh, <laughs> God, you got there. <laughs> oh my gosh, I just got yeah, goosebumps. Yeah. That is yeah, powerful. Yeah. Really powerful, yeah. And I was focusing so much on everything that had gone wrong that I was keeping myself unhealthy. Yeah, you yeah. forgot what's actually yeah. most important, which is your health. Yes, you yeah. Know? yeah. And also maybe to... Just remember that people that bully others, sometimes the bully themselves, they have their own traumas and, you know, ignorances and things like that. I'm not justifying bullies, but I'm just saying that it's to know that sometimes it's not you, it's it's them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and what's really interesting for me is that, I, you know, I had to work to get rid of the anger yeah. and I didn't realise how angry I was. Yeah. And it's, you know, people have said to me a couple of years down the line, you were so angry, yeah. you were so ill. Ooh, and so and I didn't recognise it in myself at the time. And, you know, you're still walking and talking, how ill can you be? But yeah, I just, I didn't recognise how far that had gone. May I ask, was that anger in random things or was it more directed towards people? Was it that you would get angry easily or um, it was just something that you would have within you, like a deep hatred or anger? I think it was deep within. Mm. And and the reason I say that is because um, I don't think I had the energy to get angry um I did a lot of crying definitely did a lot of crying um so it perhaps come out that way rather than outbursts of anger um but it's that it's that deep hatred that you carry inside you that anger um partly towards not just the bully but the whole situation other people who were involved people who made the decisions so that anger it kind of transverses across other people yeah yeah so um but one of the things I absolutely knew particularly when I came into this work and when I looked at the um you know wanting to change the legislation was that you can't change anything from a place of anger and so that really helped me to let it go because I just thought well actually no I'd much rather make a difference for people and let them know that they can get through this, that there is light on the other side, and that you can be whole and confident. And even, you know, post-traumatic growth is a wonderful expression for how you can come out of the other side a stronger person. And I'm not saying that I never have moments now, but they are less and they're very quickly recovered from. So yeah, definitely a different person from the one I was at the time. Thank you so much for that. Really, if you ever feel those angry moments, just know like everything that you're doing right now for that cause is helping so many people. So, you know, keep being fueled by that and not that shitty experience that doesn't, you know. Yeah, I, I do. And, you know, it's it's about not letting it define you. Exactly. Isn't it? So, exactly. Um, so, yeah. Nikki, as a final question, um, can you talk to us about the future of conduct change? What you envision in the next few years, um, I know in particular to the legislation as well, but overall in general, and then how can individuals and society work to shift the cultural narrative around bullying? And if there are any ways people can contribute or get involved with conduct change or with anything else to to help uh, spread this awareness? Yes. So 
In terms of conduct change, then our primary purpose as a business is to work with other businesses and organisations to look at how they can prevent workplace bullying. And a lot of that is just let's have conversations about behaviours, start that conversation in your business. Um, Because actually, what's really interesting is over the last four or five years, certainly, then there's been a huge shift in Um, how many reports of bullying we're hearing, how much more is in the press. Um, And so it is becoming more recognised as something that we need to address. So by keeping that awareness going, having those conversations internally, uh, but having a look at what can we do differently and how can we change our working practices to really help prevent workplace bullying. That's absolutely key to the work that we do. Um, We also support individuals who are going through it, either brought in by businesses to coach individuals or um, individuals come on our Moving On programme. And the Moving On programme is um, it's subsidised through some of the awareness raising work that we do, such as the conference, which is every November. But the legislation change, um, our campaign there, if you go to our website, um, conductchange.co.uk, you will see a little heading on the menu there, Stop Hurt at Work. And that's the branding we're using for our campaign. And there's a page there all about legislation. So you can find out exactly how to get involved, petition, writing to your MP, and just, you know, sharing your information through the Speak Out Revolution, who are our data partners as well. So there are lots of opportunities to add your voice and really play a part in making a difference. Wow. Amazing. Nikki, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and this discussion. It was truly valuable. Um, I'll be linking Conduct's Change website to this episode description, along with the work that you have done with the Applied Neuroscience Association, so uh, people can go have a look and get involved should they wish to. That's amazing, and thank you so much for giving me this opportunity today. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening. If you like this episode, please do support us by subscribing, sharing, and leaving a review on your favorite podcast hosting site. Thank you again, and we'll catch you in the next episode.